Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I'm joined by my co-host, Wilkie V. Law III. Will, how are you? What up, what up, what up, what up? Doing good, doing good. Monday morning. I mean, Monday evening. Monday evening, yeah. You're on You're on teacher time now that it's summer. You don't know what day it is anymore. <laughs> hey, I hate you. I've, I've been in PD, so I've, I've been in PD for the last uh, three days. You know, starting last week and going into this week, I've... One more tomorrow, and that's it for the month. So I'm still in teacher mode a little bit. Nice. <laughs> and we are super thrilled to have our uh, fellow Houstonian teacher, Erica Brister, on the uh, podcast. Erica, how are you? I'm doing well, trying to stay cool in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I... It is so hot. I think, like, I woke up and all of a sudden I was like, oh, the 100-degree Texas summer is here. Right. And it's not even it's not even the worst part of it yet. Just wait. Oh, I know. I know. It gets better. <laughs> oh well, I. Sp- but, but right now we have a storm that's coming, so we got to look out for that because there's a storm in the coming into the Gulf. So. We- yeah, I need to hurry and go see that clear water in Galveston before <laughs> that storm comes. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching. The, have you heard? Have you seen that? Oh, of course, you probably wouldn't see it, Kyle, but. They, you know, they've been having more blue water coming to Galveston coast, um, toward the coastline, actually up to the bank. So they're pretty people are pretty excited about that. There's uh, that wasn't a joke. I I've never in the like five or six times I went to Galveston, I never saw anything but brown water. <laughs> right, exactly. But it's it's like crystal clear lately. Wow, that's fantastic. It really is nice. And I suppose you 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 kind of are in the same spot if you know you grew up in Pittsburgh and I grew up in Wisconsin, so you're more used to the uh, to the cold winter than you are to the hot summer. <laughs> well, it's been about four years now since I've been here, so I've adjusted a little bit, but I don't like the cold at all now. <laughs> right. I I uh, this was my first year back in Wisconsin, and we had. We had full-on winter from the end of November until the beginning of May. Oh my gosh! It was terrible. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was my penance for being gone eight years. <laughs> oh my! Oh, yeah, that's y'all so had, horrible. Y'all had snow for a spring break too, right? Oh yeah, we had we had two snow days in April. Hey, it snowed in Texas this year, so you better watch out. We had about a little dusting. Yeah, and then the whole city, sh- the whole city shuts down. We didn't have school. Oh, right? Y'all are crazy. Y'all are crazy. So, all right, Will, why don't you uh, go ahead and explain kind of what the purpose of the podcast is and and why we have it? So, okay, uh, okay, Eric. So what we did, what we wanted, it was, this is Kyle's brainchild. He came up with the idea of um, of us actually starting a podcast and getting actual teachers authentic voice out to the public. Um, a lot of times when we watch the news or we hear anything about education, it's usually ne- ne- negative or it's political, which most of that becomes negative uh, anyway. Um, so we wanted to make sure we kind of reach out to educators and kind of let them have an opportunity to share their story so that people can see and kind of actually start to bring back the value of the education craft, the teaching craft that we that we both, and I'm sure all three of us, we love so dearly. 
Yes. So that's kind of the purpose of the podcast. Oh, I love that. That's so wonderful. We need that definitely in these times. Right. I think it's good for teachers to hear from other teachers uh, about their successes, about their struggles. Because uh, again, it just kind of a reminder that we're we're all in the same thing together, regardless if you're rural Wisconsin or you're metropolitan Houston. Education is still facing the same enemy, and yes. we're all fighting the same battle. So, absolutely. All right, so we're going to jump right into the questioning. The first question we want to ask you today is to tell us the story of how and why you became a teacher. What inspired you to become a teacher? Uh, okay, so at first I didn't think that I wanted to be a teacher. I actually did go to college to become a physician assistant, which at the end of the day ended up being kind of funny because while I think I would have excelled at that type of career or something like a nurse, because when I was in high school, they would always have us take career tests, and they always led to, like, human services and dealing with people, which is what I love. Um, I'm the daughter of an educator. So my mom was a third and first grade teacher for 35 years. And so I kind of grew up in the classroom from the time I was very young, putting up bulletin boards, organizing books, and so before you know it, I was and asking my mom when I could come to school to teach and help her. And so then I started college and I was like, you know what, I really want to be a teacher. And so that's what I did, um, which was kind of a silly journey at first because I think people were like, oh, your mom is a teacher. Maybe you should do something else. But deep down, it was what my what I wanted to do and where my heart was and still is. Nice. Awesome. So, Kyle, you want to add anything or question anything about that? No, man. I, I just, I like that story of, I, it's always so, you know, and and this is back to Will and I's story. Like, we, we're such an odd couple. We come from literally the exact opposite backgrounds, and we got into the profession in, you know, completely different ways. I was you know, a teacher from the beginning and he was alternative certification. But, you know, it's so strange to me how people who come from such different backgrounds and and have different experiences kind of all land on the same things that, you know, that really just how important it is to be a teacher and what the value of that job is. And I think I think your her story just illustrates that for sure. Well, thank you. Mm hmm. So, Erica, who was your favorite teacher? And tell us why. Okay, so it was Mrs. Jacobs. She was my third grade teacher. And I love to write and I love to read. And my mom was a big helper for the getting, instilling the love of reading in me since I was two was when she told me I was reading, like the three little bears or something. Um, but my third grade teacher allowed me to read all the different novels that I wanted to. And we weren't under this curriculum where everyone was reading the same book at the same time, answering the same questions, which I can't stand because I know there's good that comes out of that. But also, I don't believe in reading, leveling and those types of things with a conversation. Uh, but she really piqued my interest in reading whatever I wanted to read. 
um, and writing whatever I wanted to write. We had those old school computers in the back of the room, right? And so I would finish work, and I'd be like, Mrs. Jacobs, can I go type? Can I go write? And I would just be doing these wild stories, like the last of the really great Wang Doodles. She read that to us, and I decided I was going to make my own version of it. I just wrote and wrote and wrote, and I think that she just encouraged me so much, and she was she had this energy and life as a teacher that I wanted to be. And so I still think of her uh, to this day because I want to have that same energy and passion for my kids as well. Nice. That's a good story, Mrs. Jacobs. <laughs> yes. Passion and energy. You know, and I think it's funny. We were in a, um, we're in a training today uh, with um, – I think her name is Andrea McNair from Waco, and she talked about the, having the genius hour in your classroom. Oh, and, yes. And one of the things that she focused on is having students have an opportunity during the school day to pursue their passion. Oh, and and as you were telling that story about Mrs. Jacobs, I, I, I immediately went to my notes to look at this, and I'm like, so really, Ms. Jacobs was doing this model where she was allowing you to, to express yourself in a thing that, that, that made the most sense to you. Right. And that's so hard in, this, in today's curriculum, you know, high-stakes, test-driven uh, society that we're in, that it's like we forget that if we teach and encourage kids to do what they love to do, it doesn't matter what they have to learn. They're getting an opportunity to share what they love to do with somebody else and ultimately that's what everybody wants exactly well and i think i think back to two that was in third grade which is still a high st a high stakes testing grade in pennsylvania where i grew up and somehow you know she still managed to allow that time for us to be able to hone in on our own skills and strengths because we're all designed differently to be able to do whatever it is your passion is for you and so that is why um, in my pk classroom i even give a time for them to do like what we call special projects and that's where they can do whatever station they want to do, which in the same sense is allowing them to have that freedom of choice. And I got those ideas from Mrs. Jacobs. I am thankful for her many, many years ago, and I'm still using what she taught me. Nice. That's awesome. So we'd love, Erica, for you to, to finish these statements. So the first statement is, the value of a really great teacher is... Priceless. <laughs> yeah. One word. One word. I mean, do you do you want to elaborate on that, or are we just gonna button that off with you know, just the one word? <laughs> I can elaborate. I just think of that uh, Mastercard, priceless. You know, and having a good teacher is priceless. Uh, we have a teacher who encourages you to to be you. Uh, to study and read what interests you. That is what we need as a role model for our children. And if you think about, especially in the elementary, early childhood setting, uh, we're spending seven to eight hours a day with those children. And so you have that time to make a priceless impact on them in their lives and to shape uh, who they will be, even if it's in a small way. 
so that's why I chose priceless. Right. And I think, you know, when you add to the priceless, I, I think it's really important to remember that you never know when that impact is going to hit a kid. You never know you when know. what you what you did. I mean, because I've told this story in the podcast a bunch of times, like I had the same gym teacher from K to sixth grade, um, you know, uh, Coach Skinner was his name or is his name. He's actually the mayor of my hometown now. But then I hadn't seen him for a few years. And he was my high school basketball coach, you know, and I hadn't, and I don't think I told this part of the story and Will, I I was going to tell you this. I remember my senior year that coach Skinner had said to me, Hey, you know, someday, you know, there, there was this guy in my hometown. His name was John Hines. He did all the motivational speaking for all the, all the teams and coach Skinner, my senior year had said, Hey, you know, that's your future someday. Someday you're going to be the next John Hines. And I hadn't thought about it until like a week or two ago, how, you know, and to be doing what we're doing now, it was to have him, but to have him speak that onto my life now, 15 years ago, for me to, you know, kind of be fulfilling that I, 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 that, that shows you right there, the, the priceless nature of the impact of a teacher. Yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. Think about it. He spoke life into you. So that you had something even subconsciously to, to strive for. Whereas, you know, oftentimes teachers are not speaking life. You know, students get the best of some teachers. And, you know, I tell people all the time, students can get the best of the best teachers at any given moment. You know, so it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's powerful when you actually speak life into the life of a student. And a child, because you just don't know how far that's going to take them. Right. All right, Erica. And you two are a perfect example. Yeah, okay. thank you. Awesome. So yeah. the next phrase is, the hardest part of teaching is? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I think, though, in this day and age, the hardest part of teaching is, um, teaching has always been political, but it's so much more in the public eye now. Um, And we live in such a day and age where everything can be captured on video, you know, either in a positive or negative light. And, you know, we're so influenced by what we see in the media. And we do have such a political career, you know, in ways that people don't even realize. And the hardest part for me is knowing that I'm I'm educating the nation's future, so I don't want to mess up. You know, I'm always thinking about what can be, what, what I would want for my own child, Um, Not only that, but what's best for them in educating children that are going to be leaders, children that can become activists, people that can become involved later in government. So I want to make sure that I'm always keeping up to date on my practice and studying what's best for kids so that I won't make mistakes with them. Because even it's, it's, it's no way I won't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But I think even more so now, I'm more cognizant of like, the decisions that I make in the classroom and what I choose to say because I want to make a positive impact, surely not a negative one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and I'm interested, th- this phrase especially, because I'm interested in the, in the pre-K setting, the one thing I wish parents knew about teaching is? I have 20 of them, 20 plus kids, and they all need everything at the same time. 
<laughs> sometimes you'll get these calls and or a, a text and it'll be like on blooms is what I use for my communication. Hey, um, pictures are today. Make sure uh, that, that so-and-so's hair is out of the way for his picture. <laughs> Don't worry, I will, and I'll make sure all other 23 of them look pristine. Don't worry about it, girl. I got you. <laughs> so I keep a big stash of baby wipes under the sink. After we come back from breakfast, we all wash our hands, we wipe our faces, and I like to send them home how they came to me. Um, but sometimes I think... <laughs> Parents just don't realize until they come to an event like our field trip. And we were at the farm this year, and one of my parents starts going, oh, my gosh, I don't know how she does it. And all the other parents are chiming in as I'm organizing them for a picture going, wow, I just never realized there's so many of them. And there are. It's just a different type of – they have a different type of independence than – you know, an older child would middle school or high school, but they are independent, just in a different way. We're teaching so much more social and emotional skills, too, not just the curriculum. So sometimes, you know, parents remember how many we have, and there's only two hands and only a half-time pair of, so sometimes four hands, only about a third of the day, though. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. All right, so so last one. The most repo- the most rewarding part of teaching is. I love when the kids say, "Mr. Sir, I love you," um, or you just you just taught a fun lesson or did something with them, and they come up and they just wrap you in this bear hug, and just to see their smiles, and uh, when they write you little cards and in their little kid writing and put hearts by your name. Uh, it's so rewarding to receive those little tokens of appreciation by them, even though they're little. And I love thank you notes from parents. Like, wow, some of the notes that I got at the end of the year this year just made me cry. Um, they really do appreciate what we're doing. And so that is so, so rewarding. I can't even tell you. Right, right. I can't, I can't argue with any of those points. And it's interesting you say that, that that's the most rewarding part because as I'm transitioning from a campus that I've been at for uh, 10 years to, to a new school, um, it I was cleaning out and I'm finding all of these. My, I found a bag of all the notes that my kids wrote me. Um, and as I'm going through these notes and I'm reading them, you know, it's really part because I, I was an instructional specialist. Um, for the last three years, and now I'm going back into the classroom. So kind of, it was kind of perfect timing for me to find all these things and what kids said about me as a teacher, not as an instructional coach okay. or a mentor, but actually as a teacher, mm-hmm. to hear what students said. And you're right, that is the most rewarding part, is when students tell me, you know, I went to my first graduate set of graduations a few years ago from kids who I taught. And as I'm standing there in the auditorium and I'm looking at the manifestation of the seed that I planted, you know, six or seven years ago. And I have kids who come up to me and say, thank you, Mr. Long. It was your word that helped me get through. Or, you know, I remember what you taught me about respect and integrity, you know, and taking pride in myself. And those moments, I call them a million dollar moments. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, as you said earlier, it's priceless. 
teachers fight with this an experience that you it's, it's second to none to have a student show you and voice to you their gratitude in their best way yes I have a box actually it's a it's just a it's a little box that I have nothing special it's just a shoe box and I um, if I kept everything sometimes I take pictures oh. of some of them if I kept everything I'd have so many um, but I keep a box of the super special things to me and every year at the end of the year I have a little uh, tradition that I do and I sit and when I add the new book new letters and the new cards to the box I go through um, oh. all my other notes from my all the way from my student teaching <laughs> and so it's just really inspiring and then I'll read them again before school starts and it kind of amps me up gets me excited for the new year too right, and that's a form of reflection I mean because your students are your customers you know, so when you're looking and reading that, you're really reading, you know, customer satisfaction cards. <laughs> you know, you're getting yes. ideas of what worked and what didn't, and now going into the next. And you don't have to do that because I never really did it prior to the school year. So I think I'm going to pull those out and take a read of those going into the school year to kind of set it and say, hey, look, this is where you have to be. Start here. Yeah sets the tone and then helps you just get in the right frame of mind because it's exhausting what we do it takes a lot of us emotionally mentally physically and so that can gear you up for a good start absolutely thank you for the tip i appreciate that hey you're welcome all right so now we're going to get into kind of some of the more in-depth questions okay um, so what is your take on the state of education today? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, we have a long ways to go, but you know what? We are doing a wonderful job with what we're given and um, what we're able to do in the classroom. And I see a lot of colleagues around me or colleagues such as the both of you that we are making, uh, we're the change makers, we are making small steps towards change. And so I never want to be like, the state of education is horrible, while there are times that I think a lot of the things that I see happening aren't equitable, or uh, aren't what's best for children. I know that there's so many people making efforts towards what is right for kids. Um, for example, um, in my home district, you no, know, and the district near me, they're laying off hundreds of teachers. And how can that be best? What's best for kids? How can that be uh, what's best for the state of our school systems? It's not. Um, I've read so much research about uh, the prison, the school to prison pipelines, and just things that we are doing in education that are, quite frankly, wrong but we are making steps towards change and that's what matters. So we just need to keep doing that work so that we can help the kids have the best schooling possible. And that's what I try to do every day in my own classroom is be the best I can be because I can, I can speak for others, but I have the most control over what goes on in my room. And so I can make even the smallest changes there first. Oh. It all starts with one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, you know, I love uh, education. And I, when I first started, I was 
oh, there's 28 kids. I got to touch 28 lives. I, I got to make sure every 20, all 28 kids understand this. And then by year three or four, I was kind of like, okay, wait a minute. Can I just reach one? If I can get yeah. one out of the group that I know would not have would not have been made better if, if, if I overlooked them, can I just focus my attention on one? And the moment I started doing that, I started noticing that the lives of the other ones around that one started to shift. Yes. And then I started noticing the power that educators have to capture one kid and let that one kid capture a whole lot of other kids in the process. So it yes. makes the job not as daunting, you know, mm-hmm. to try to 24, 30 kids live when, hey, let me focus on a few. Let me get these few and let me get them to be the best that they can be. And then their impact alone is going to start that ripple of return. Yes, I agree. Because especially when you have every year, you know, you have a couple where, you know, either sometimes they need a little extra help in the age behavior of it. Uh, like in the behavior area or in the area of their, you know, for my case, you know, letters, numbers, addition, subtraction. So they need extra help. And in the process, when you're planning your lessons and you're doing things, you end up investing all the much more time in those children to think, how can such and such can be successful in this lesson? Or how can I keep them engaged in this? And at the same time, you make it better for everybody. And you make it better not only for that child, but like you said, it has that ripple effect where if you can just change one, then that can have an impact on all the rest of the children too. Right. And I, and I think the thing that you said that stood out to me the most is no matter how bad it gets or what the situation is, you pointed out, and I think this is true, and if you know it, it's something that I wish teachers would take to heart, is you always have control of what happens in your room. No matter, no matter what the situation is outside, you still have the opportunity to make a difference for the kids that you have, regardless of your situation. And, and we don't want to um, dismiss or undermine, you know, some of the bad situations people are going through. But if you Absolutely can just stay, not. just stay focused on the fact that no matter what in your classroom, you have a chance to make a difference. That's that's one of the best things that you could do. Yeah, Exactly. And you kind of started talking about this, so let's continue the conversation and talk about what is your philosophy of education? Wow. Okay, so I um, I studied abroad when I was in college, um, and I learned a lot about the Reggio Emilia philosophy of education, and so that is part of um, my philosophy. Well, number one, first and foremost, I want to have an anti-bias, anti-racist, equitable classroom experience for all my kids. Um, And I want that to be guided by the student choice in their learning. I want kids to be excited about learning and keep that excitement. And since I get pre-K kids, I have that opportunity to get the joy that comes with not, not hating school already. And I want them to keep that love for as long as they can. Because the longer you love school and love your teachers, the more chances you have to graduate, the more chances you have to go to higher education if that's what you want to do, or go to a trade school if that's what you want to do. Because it shows like kids who love learning will continue that cycle 
Um, you know, and there's so much research that goes with that to back that up. And so we'll talk about choice in the classroom. And I want to do things that they're interested in. You can still teach all the things that we need to teach and use their interest as a guide to help you. And so that's kind of my philosophy is like project-based learning and uh, units of study that are kind of driven by uh, what the kids are interested in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the thing that stood out to me is you, you mentioned too, you know, and we always want to want to say that we want kids to love learning, but we often underestimate what a kid will do for a teacher that they really love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you said... Well, they, 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 if you don't like someone, you don't want to do well for them. And, I mean, there's so much research behind that, too. Like, if you like your teacher, you're more likely to participate. If you don't like your teacher, if you can feel from your teacher that your teacher doesn't like you, oh. and imagine as a child how that would feel. Would you want to work for someone who didn't like you? No, it's no different than I wouldn't want to work in a job where somebody didn't like me. So who would want to come to a classroom where you knew someone didn't like you? You wouldn't. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head right there because I think one of the pieces of advice that I remember when I first started teaching that I got was don't smile till December. And Mm. I... I think you heard the same thing too, right, Kyle? Yep. And and so to me, it's so just crazy to even fathom me as a person and my personality having a group of individuals walk into my room and I not show them the joy. I mean, I wouldn't frown at someone who walked into my house. Right. You know, if I just meet you and I want to, and I'm trying to make a good impression. I'm not going to frown at you the entire time we're having a, a conversation or an exchange. So why would you want to begin a relationship with students with a frown? Because they're saying you've got to start off tough. No, you start off with an expectation. Right. Exactly. You know, that, that's not tough. I mean, my, I, the very first memory that I have, and my mom passed away, it's been 24 years now that she's been gone. But the one thing that just lights me up every time is when I close my eyes and I picture her smile. Because that's the one thing that radiated throughout her entire life with me, is that smile. So why would I want to cheat a child out of the experience of having a loving, caring adult until December? (laughs) August, September, October, November. That's four months that you want me to look at a child with a scowl in order for them to know who's in charge. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Right. That definitely wouldn't work in an early childhood setting because then the kids would cry. Oh, man. (laughs) They They want to let their mom parents in and go, no, I don't want to (laughs) go. Right, I don't need any of that. Right. All right, so, so because, you know, he and I both have experience in middle school and high school, um... Could you just describe the average average day uh, of a pre-K teacher? And, you know, with that, what do you, you, you elaborate to this a little bit, but, you know, continue to go into what the most, what you see as the most important part of your job. Um, the most important part of my job is to just to keep the kids loving 
school, and especially at this age, at their age, so they're four and five. Uh, some are still four by the time they go to kindergarten, but most will be five, uh, getting ready to turn six for the most part. Uh, I like to instill in them a love of reading because it's something that they'll need uh, throughout their education. And so by using uh, books that not only represent them, but represent different things that we study, I can capture their little minds and kind of suck them in to reading and writing. And, and, and if they're interested in math and the sciences and social studies, that as well. So just helping them to, to find what they're interested in. Because even, even at a young age, they already know what they like and don't like. They know to tell you, I like math already, or I like reading. Like they can tell where their strengths and interests are. And so I just like to, to see that development happen sort of naturally on its own in the classroom. It's really amazing to see. Right. Yeah. So what, but what, you know, what is... What is an average day like? You know, what does it consist of? Is it all because my like nightmare of pre-K is like nothing but <laughs> but runny noses and kids crying. Is that what oh it's actually gosh. like? No. Oh my gosh, I could I could talk about this forever because there are people who still think I color all day long with the kids, and that's all we do is color. It must be nice to color all day. And I'm like, oh, what would you like to know? Um, over half of my class goes to kindergarten reading and writing sentences. Um, they can uh, add and subtract up to five, some up to ten. I recognize numbers uh, to 20, can count to 30 plus, many can count to 100. And by the end of the year, we start counting by uh, twos and fives if they're ready. Uh, what's cool about pre-K is you really have to differentiate a lot uh, because you have some students who come um, and they already know all their letters and their sounds. Um, you have some students who've never seen a box of crayons before. Um, and so it's differentiation at its earliest level because you really do have a variety of needs that need met. Um, so in my district, uh, we they have a half-hour recess, which is uh, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 in the afternoon. We eat breakfast together as a class and lunch together as a class, uh, 20 minutes and 30 minutes respectively. And then the day is kind of divided up into um, lessons in math and literacy, science and social studies. And then after you do the mini lessons for those areas, then the kids go to stations to work on those skills independently. And during that time, I pull small groups of kids based upon, upon levels sometimes, you know, their levels of uh, knowledge of letters or sounds, or, you know, sometimes I make mixed groups uh, in order for us to do more thinking and learning that way. It's a very structured day. There are a lot of runny noses, <laughs> but we have a lot of tissue boxes for that, so don't worry. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how you do it. I have a... I have an almost three-year-old nephew and an almost one-year-old nephew, and just the two of them alone are, like, more than I can handle myself. So I don't know how you do it with 20-some of them. I'm very calm. Uh, nothing. I'm sometimes not calm in my own life. I'm a pretty anxious person, but I'm calm when it comes to them and, and handling them. And there's really not anything that phases me. I've, I've seen a lot of things. 
So right. um, the crying and the tears uh, that, that do happen, you learn to not be phased by things. Um, and, and keep in mind that I'm, I'm growing them socially and emotionally, too. I talked about that a little bit earlier. Simple things like manners or when I walk up to an adult or walk up to a person, I don't just ask them, hey, can I have that? You say, hi, how are you? Good morning, you know, and you teach them simple things like how to how to introduce yourself if you walk up to somebody, or else they'll just go running up and say something because they're a kid and they don't know yet because you haven't taught them, and so all of those things are weeded, uh, weaved throughout our day too. And nice. So you're just developing little humans of the world. Nice, you are. <laughs> Ugh, I can't even imagine it, but. <laughs> Yeah. You're the real, real superhero here. Mm-hmm. Oh, For real. I love it. I do. People are like, oh, you must be crazy. I'm like, well, maybe a little bit. Uh, but I get to be a little kid all day, and I get to enjoy um, so much love and joy comes from their faces and just make me laugh all day long. I always say I'm going to write a book, and I write down all the funny things that the kids say to me because when you tell other people those things, they're like, no, he didn't say, she didn't say that. It's like, sure did. Wish you would have been there for it. That's fantastic. It's true. You can't, you can't make it up. You can't. Right. So, what is it like teaching pre-K in, in a diverse place like, like Houston? I mean. Oh, I love the diversity of my classroom. Um. We had uh, so many different cultures in my room this year, and it was so interesting to see the kids bring uh, the joy from their own cultures and learning uh, to the classroom. So I started a, a little program where we would have a fun Friday super reader, and so it would be a parent or a family member uh, relative or even a friend um, of the ch- of the child and they could sign up on blooms which is the tool that I use uh, for communication as I mentioned earlier um, and so they would bring books representative of you know maybe their culture or something that they liked or something that they were interested in and it was so neat to be able to see all that brought to the classroom um, most of my students are English language learners LEP, which is Link Limited English Proficient, for those that might not know. Um, but really, it's not uh, its not different than teaching in a regular, you know, a mainstream classroom. I do gesture a lot uh, and use a lot of pictures and a lot of labeling of things in the classroom to be able to help them with simple words that they need maybe to get by, but they pick up really, really quickly. At, at this young age, from my experience, anyways. Yeah. So, I know you said earlier, just earlier, you said that you thought that teaching the kids to read was one of the biggest, most important things for you. Is that what you strive for your kids to be able to do before they leave you to go to kindergarten? So, it's not a requirement, but I strive for it um, as a personal goal because I know that it will help them to be more successful to enter kindergarten reading um but i've created a pre-k goals sheet and each child has one and they really love it because when they need a personal goal they get to color the goal yellow 
Um, and so goals for a pre-K child are um, addition and subtraction to five. Um, they should know all the letters and all the sounds of the alphabet. And then further more. There's also other guidelines. Uh, in Texas, we have what are called the pre-K guidelines, and that tells uh, what a child should be able to do before they go to kindergarten. Um, segmenting words, um, doing some CVC words, rhyming patterns, those are all skills that are expected to, to, to before kindergarten. Do they always master them? No. Um, but I strive to make sure they do because also in, in Texas, pre-K is considered an intervention. We used to have RTI at my school and then they, they did away with RTI because pre-K in of itself, an early childhood program, is an intervention. So I know whatever I do for them will be a help, not a hindrance for them when they go to kindergarten. I, I think that's so awesome, though, that you get them in in the mindset of, of striving for goals, even at the pre-K level. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's, I mean, that is such an underrated skill for kids to set goals. And I mean, obviously, you're setting the goals for them, but but to understand, you know, how good it feels to work towards a goal and achieve it, I think that's so awesome. Yeah, and um, just to speak on that, not always do I set the goals. Um, so one of my goals this year as a teacher was to help my students to think more about their own thinking. And so towards the middle of the year, I help them to create their own goals, uh, not instructional goals, but goals for behavior and goals for how they wanted to participate in a lesson or goals for what they wanted to do at stations. And I would give them these little rating skills where they could do thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs in the middle. And then once their goal was made, I would sit with them periodically at the end of each week and I would ask them, okay, show me with your hands. This is the goal. You know, you said, I will listen and use whole body listening. I would use whole body listening at the department. You think you did that? You know, you said that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to be a good listener this week. Thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, or thumbs down. And they would get their crayon and color it in. And then that would go home in their folder to their families. And so they were creating their own goals, too. It was a challenge, but I was really proud of the results that I saw from it. And I was proud of them taking ownership at such a young age. So with direction, they can do it. All right, that's awesome. That is awesome. So so we were going to, you know, uh, I had a question listed here about how you make it fun, but you've really kind of gone into that this whole time, so we don't need to ask it again. But you talked a little bit about, you know, anti-bias and equity and those things. And I noticed on your social media as well that you're very um, um, into social issues and speaking and you speak very well. So the question is, you know, how do you how do you balance your your role and your responsibilities as a teacher with, um, you know, the work you do on, on those issues, because, you know, like you said, in a, in a society where everything becomes so political, how do you make it so you're not, you know, pushing your political views, but still, you know, being a participant and trying to solve problems? Yeah. Um, I had worried originally when I came to some of the, um, 
came with some of my ideas and things to the classroom, how it would be received by parents and families, because I'm so invested in relationships. I want good relationships with my students and, of course, their families. And so at the beginning of the year, I'm very transparent about what it is we'll be doing in the classroom, um, that I want all kids to be represented in literature, you know, that we will be studying leaders of all colors, that we will be, you know, particularly uh, people of color or people of global majority, uh, which is, you know, in my case, I don't say lucky for me, but in my class, you know, that's mostly everybody. And so I never had any type of problem doing those things. Making the balance is not hard because I can still be who I am in the classroom and who I am in my life as well, and I don't have to uh, be worried anymore about how it will be received. Yeah, I think that's that's a really admirable way to do it, and, and I said this on the podcast too, but, you know, um, coming back from such a diverse place, like, I really struggled here. There were um, some times where, you know, it was a very politically charged climate, but it was very one-sided. It was almost to the point where one side was kind of bullying the other side and I didn't, I didn't expect it. And I, I didn't really like it in a place where, you know, where I teach in Wisconsin, there's zero diversity really. Um, there's very few African-American students and maybe a couple Hispanic students and a couple Asian students. But, um, I think you said that really well as to how, how to approach that. Yeah. The only time I ever got a little bit of perspective here, uh, was Vera from the 2-2 teacher. She's someone I very much admire and use a lot of her work to help me and guide my instruction. Um, she had curated a list of leaders for Black History Month. So we studied leaders of all types this year, as I mentioned, and I always wanted the kids to realize, like, you know, the leader leaders are like me because, so they could see qualities in themselves that are like other leaders of color or any leader that we spoke about. And one of the leaders for Black History Month was Laverne Cox. And uh, if you don't know who that is, um, that is an actress, an Emmy producer, and so she's transgender. And as we studied each leader um, throughout the month of February, uh, you know, she was one of the leaders. And I wasn't, I didn't get into details with my students about what that is. But, you know, I said, you know, she is a person who's transgender, you know, quickly, you know, kid level what that means. And I did have, you know, one parent question me about it, but the PowerPoint that was created by Vera, um, she was like, oh, okay. That was it, and that was it. So um, I think that we have to be careful, especially now. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into, uh, you know, LGBTQ community and showing that in the classroom as well when we're working towards social justice for everybody. And so kids will eventually find out about those things, and so I don't see a need to hide it from them even though they're little. Right. I think that's... I think that's really, really well said as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it can be, I think, sometimes a little difficult to talk about because I am still learning. And so I, I learn with the kids 
um, but she was included in that list, and so I felt no reason to skip over her name just because, you know, Vera had her written there. And so we, we learned about her, too. Awesome. You know? Well, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Okay. And get to a little lighter side. Um, okay. Since we're all familiar with Houston, um, and I'm going to call Kyle uh, an official Houstonian since he's been here for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though he's AWOL at the moment. <laughs> I love how you say I love how you say AWOL at the moment. AWOL. You say what? I love how you say you throw at the moment in there. At the moment, right. Uh, what are, if you could recommend three places everyone should eat in Houston, what is what are Erica's picks for oh restaurants? It's a good thing then we're getting down to the end of the question so you can uh, so you can get get to your shrimp because we don't want to keep you from that. Just knowing that like things happen when they're supposed to, 
and just to enjoy the state that you're in instead of constantly like wishing for something else or wishing for more just to like love your life in the space that it's in um and also kind of going through a little bit of an anxious time especially uh, during all this you know job changes and things for me is like you never let anyone steal your joy um, that I'm in charge of my own happiness and the happiness that I have is the happiness that I create in, the, in my classroom and in my life and so I always think about that if I'm having a sad moment or having a, a like eh, kind of day just to think that like the joy we have comes from within me and that I shouldn't let anyone steal that joy. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So both of those uh, really stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give to a teacher who is struggling? Uh, wow, that's a tough one. So I feel at every point as, at a, as a teacher, we all have moments where we struggle. And so I would say... Um, First of all, remind yourself that things always seem worse than what they are. <laughs> and when you're in a negative space about something, you know, we're designed and we're programmed to think about more sad things. <laughs> and so sometimes when you're having a struggling moment, I think first thing you need to do is take a step back and take some time for you and take care of yourself, whether it's to read a book or go to a movie or do something to take your mind off it for a little while. And then when you have that moment to kind of detox, then think, okay, what is the struggle really about? Is it behavior? What can I do for that? Is it curriculum? What can I do for that? Is it time management? What can I do for that? And in that same sense, get a support system. Get you a support system of people who are going to help you and be there for you, whether it's colleagues, family members, friends, significant others. You need to have those people that you can you can talk to and that you can vent to. Because if you aren't doing those things, it could be a lonely, it could be a lonely career. advice thank you all right so last few and then we'll like i said we're gonna hurry up and get you to your shrimp because it you know you're making <laughs> me want to go get shrimp but um all right the best thing you've read in the last year oh wow that is hard i'm a voracious reader i read everything <laughs> i've read so much more now that i'm out of school which can i pick uh, so I finished two books recently. One was called White Awake, um, and that's basically uh, looking at white privilege through a Christian lens um, and looking at uh, what racism and prejudice looks like through a Christian 
lens. It was very, very, very good. Um, and it talks about how basically um, me as a white Christian, um, you know, I should lament over, you know, people of color and the struggles that they've had in America and not necessarily uh, put a damper on that like it didn't happen. But that was a very, very good book. It was written by uh, Daniel Hill. It was very life-changing for me. Um, and in the area of education, I just finished uh, disruptive thinking. Um, and it's teaching kids about uh, disrupting their thinking uh, when they're reading and to make connections in their head, in their heart, in their head, in their heart. Um, so that was really influential, too, just to think about when I'm teaching reading next year, what I can do to be able to help them disrupt their thinking and their reading. All right. Awesome. All right. So if you could, you know, advise people, and, and I know you um, – mentioned the tutu teacher uh could you give a couple other people that you think everybody should that's listening should go follow uh to to get some inspiration and some good things from it um okay so i will just double check so i make sure i'm giving you the right handle um but one of the girl the women's name is uh naomi o'brien um she's with reed like a rock star um she is an advocate for social justice, uh, not only in her life, but in the classroom. Um, she is one of my very good friends and has been incredibly helpful to me on my journey of perfecting my own practice in those areas. And also, uh, Lanisha Tab, she it created a curriculum with Naomi, and she's with um, Apron Education. And so if you're interested in some humor as well as some social justice, as well as some um, engaging classroom management tips and engaging curriculum tips, uh, they are absolutely amazing. And I love being able to advocate for their work because it's helped me so much. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So um, what is your proudest accomplishment to date? Um, I moved across the country by myself uh, to come to Houston, uh, and I just packed the car with no furniture and came here by myself, and I just did it, and not it didn't hit me until maybe about a year ago when I realized. I was like, wow, I did that, and I kind of spent some time like undermining that I did that, but I did that, and it was definitely a challenge, and I had no idea what I was doing all to take a job because I wanted to make a difference in education. And I came here, and that's what I did. And I think that um, I'm so proud of that now because I could have stayed where I was and kept subbing and hoping for a job, but I did something that was outside of my comfort zone, and it allowed me to move. And I think moving and traveling is so important. So I'm incredibly proud that I did that. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there. I was the exact same. I didn't know anybody, but I moved to take the job, and it was best decision I ever made. So that's awesome. So People would be like, do you have, do you have family there? Do you know anyone? And I would be like, no. <laughs> and so you can relate. Yeah. Oh, um, like, yeah. That's you, exactly. Like, what were you doing? Like, why would you like just give you these looks? Like, wait, really? And you're like, yeah, that's what I did. Thanks. Right 
Right on, right on. Life is an adventure. So, all right, before we ask you the last question, if people want to follow you, what's what's the best way that they can do that or best ways they can connect with you? Uh, so my account is Miss Brister's Busy Bees. Um, and then my contact, my email and my phone number, any contact information is on there. But that's really uh, all I use as far as education is concerned. I have a Twitter it's my first and last name, Erica Brister, and I put education things on there as well. Um, but really, my my teacher account is where I have all my things teaching. Right on. Awesome. We we were talking earlier today about how we need to be more active on Twitter, so we're gonna definitely once we get rocking, we're gonna definitely follow you so we can be connected there too. So. I love Twitter. You do have to be careful because I, I was listening to another podcast. And do you know that Twitter is the biggest distributor of misinformation in the world? Uh, so you have to be careful when you see, um, you know, facts on there or news that it might not always not might not always be accurate. Uh, so I do keep that in mind um, when I'm using Twitter. Before we ask the final question, we do want to just tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time and spending time with us and having an awesome conversation we're really really grateful and i'm excited because i know i'm going to be back in the h in in august and i'm sure we'll definitely try to link up with you when i'm down there oh for sure oh my gosh yes i would love that yeah that awesome. and i think we definitely gotta uh, um if do you know juan gonzalez jr he teaches in houston his uh his instagram is teaching third with mr g Gosh, yes, I do. So yeah. I actually hosted with another teacher at Houston Teacher Meetup. So oh, we had about 40 yeah. people there. Send someone else to other teachers that I know on Instagram. One is a crafty math teacher. She had another meetup that she went, and I didn't get to go. <laughs> I wanted to meet him so badly. Like, I feel like we kind of get these like celebrity crushes on people that we see. On Instagram, and I'll like see his teaching and be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I just want to meet him one day, or um, like how I feel about Vera with the two teacher. Like I could, I couldn't, I can't wait to meet her one day at a conference or something. Uh, no, I did not get to meet him. Oh uh, well, well we've we've had him on the podcast, so I, I will I we will make the introduction to you. But you know your love of re- if yes. your your love of reading, you've gotta you gotta connect with him because that's a dude that loves reading. Yeah. So. I did not listen to him on your podcast yet, but I'm about to find it. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> All right. So last question we've got for you. What do you want your legacy to be? such a fragile world 
And so I think about all the time, the decisions that I'm making in the classroom, are they decisions that I would want my own child to have? Um, would I want my own child to be in my room? And I want that to be my legacy, um, being a teacher who's going to be a change maker and a teacher who loves her students. If the kindest compliment I think anyone could ever pay me is like, Miss Brister loves her kids. And I'll know what I'm doing right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. that's a great way to end it. So again, thank you, thank you so much for taking some time with us. And we are uh, well, I, I I can speak for both. We're really looking forward to, to staying connected and and meeting up in person sometime, hopefully soon down the road. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I truly was so excited and honored too.